Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. High interest rates are causing debt burdens to rise across Canada. And yet, at the same time, we're also seeing home prices starting to surge. Inflation in the States did slow, though barely, and that is setting the stage for what might be a pretty tough battle over the next few months to get Canada sub 3%. So what's a central bank to do? I mean, do you raise rates further to fight inflation and rising home prices and then slow the economy? Or do you lower them and and help Canadians with rising debt and interest payments make their lives easier? We discuss all this today on this episode, and we're going to also discuss a truly effective first-time homebuyers incentive that was just launched in the UK and maybe coming to Canada in the near future. So are these higher interest rates affecting you in some way? Well, if you're feeling the squeeze of these higher mortgage payments and want to know what your options are, feel free to reach out to us. Our contact info is below and we're helping homeowners realize that there are options out there and probably some that you didn't even know exist. So we're here to help. And if you want to just have a chat, we're very easy to get a hold of. So let's talk about these debt burdens. First off, more metrics are in, more data is in, and we're here to share it with you. First one being mortgage delinquencies. Now, today they do remain at or very near record lows. We're talking about 0.16% nationally, 0.16, 0.1.6. For reference, if we go back to 2010, 13 years ago, it was at 0.4%. And let's go back even further to 1996, where they reached 0.6%. That was a recent high. And again, that was almost 27 years ago. Now, the mortgage delinquency rate, sure, it is a bit of a lagging indicator because, of course, most banks don't call a homeowner delinquent until their payments are six months in arrears. So quite a ways behind. But let's also consider this. We're already 15 months into our rate hiking cycle. And yet these uh, delinquency rates are still incredibly low at 0.16%. This is largely due to the fact that we still have a very strong labor market with basically record low unemployment that has certainly helped keep people paying their mortgages. What's also fascinating about this is that you look to the two provinces with the highest uh, property prices and therefore they typically the highest mortgage amounts, Ontario and British Columbia. And both of those provinces are tied for the lowest delinquency rate at 0.1%. People in uh, provinces like Alberta are actually having a higher rate, but again, 0.1%, 0.16% nationally is incredibly low. So let's also consider when you look at all the mortgages across the country here it's about one in five that have actually felt that impact of these rising interest rates but as more of these start to renew in the coming years we can definitely expect these debt service ratios the amount of our income that we have to use to pay our debts to hit quite likely record highs by as soon as 2024 And what will that mean? Well, of course, less discretionary spending because people are going to pay their mortgage first. And if they only have that 
fixed amount of income to work with, well, they're going to pull back on some of the luxuries of life, maybe the dining out, maybe the vacations and so forth. But let's, it's, even though that's a great metric, it's not all that pretty. So let's look a little bit deeper here. And Ryan's going to get into some of the other things that are happening when it comes to uh, debt in Canada. Yeah, I want to touch on on uh, the loss rates in, in credit cards. But even just before I do that, I just wanted to comment because I always find it so fascinating that places like Ontario and BC, where you have, you know, arguably the highest levels of debt with the lowest levels of delinquency. And I think that's largely because those are probably the two biggest economies within Canada. So, you know, when you do see a downturn, uh, there's more places for you to go if you're, you know, if you're an employee and, and something that happens to your, your company and, and your job, you know, dries up, uh, with a dynamic economy like BC, which has a ton of different industries and same with Ontario, uh, you're less likely, I think, to see, uh, higher levels of delinquencies, um, in those more dynamic, uh, economies. So I just want to, you know, and as you get more into Canada, there's, there's places in Canada that are, you know, simply based around resource-based economies and things like that. And if that slows down, then, you know, uh, there's bigger problems there. Um, but, you know, like we said, let's, let's take a look at credit cards because this is a great leading indicator, um, in terms of, um, you know, whether or not people tend to default on their mortgages, right? So now things are, are ticking up a little quicker now. So to give uh, some sort of uh, perspective here, loss rates pre COVID uh, on credit cards were about three and a half percent. And then when everybody got free money during COVID that dropped dramatically in you know, by more than half to three or one and a half percent by January, 2022. Since then, now it's back up to 3%, uh, which is very interesting. However, uh, no homeowners have been defaulting on their mortgages yet uh, without first falling behind on their credit cards, right? So mortgages are typically always paid first, but the credit cards tend to give us uh, some insight in terms of how consumers are spending their money and what they're spending their money on. Uh, the trend in credit cards leads to a trend in mortgage arrears usually by about six months, right? So consumer insolvencies are rising too. Um, we just saw the highest number of filings since March 2019. So basically, we're back at pre-COVID levels here. Uh, consumer proposals. Uh, so what that is, i.e., you know, that's your LOCs, that's your credit cards. Um, they are at uh, an all-time high dating back to 2007, right? So what all of this tends to show us is that there's significant stress, um, at least at the consumer level, uh, that we, we were aware of that. Obviously, we've been reporting on that for some time, but, uh, you know, it does indicate that the stress levels are rising uh, and that cracks are starting to form. And I think that's why we started to see different rhetoric out of the central banks. We'll get into that later. Yeah, I just wanted to add a little bit of clarity too on the consumer proposals. That's essentially when people who have debt, they will go to a bank or a different financial institution and try to restructure those loans to make their payments more manageable. Uh, and those number of proposals are actually at an all-time high. So people have debt and they're looking, they're starting to feel that burden. They're feeling the pain of those payments and they go to look for help and say, how do I actually make these payments feasible? How can I restructure this? And so that is definitely something to keep an eye on because it is, like Ryan said, it's, it's a big indicator of some underlying financial stresses here. Well, and to your point, Dan, I mean, a lot of the major banks in the States have also been doing that, right? Um, regional banks, 
the ones that have failed, this is what they do. They go and restructure their debt if they can. So it's happening at the consumer level and at the institutional level. And yet somehow, even with all this increased debt burdens and these higher payments and this underlying stresses, overall consumer confidence is actually spiking. It's going up. It's on the rise, and it has been since around Q3 of 2022. Right now, that ratio is sitting at about 53%. It was as low as 43% on this cycle. And then let's pull back a bit and give you the big picture. So how does that relate to pre-COVID? 56%. Right before COVID, the consumer confidence level was at 56. Today, we're at 53. It's almost back to where we were pre-COVID. The same thing is happening within the real estate confidence metric as well. It is on the way up. That chart is now registering 40%, but that is off of lows of 20% just back at the end of 2022. That's when prices were falling, rates were still going up. Definitely people were buying homes at a much lesser rate than the previous two years. And again, how does this relate to pre-COVID numbers? Well, today we're at 40%, pre-COVID was 45 so confidence levels in both metrics are on the rise and we're almost back to the world that it was back in January, February, 2020. Certainly we're seeing that here in terms of uh, the real estate market, but it's also evident in Toronto. I mean, check out some of these stats. Um, so sales have jumped 27% in April. Uh, that's a month over month change. That's the largest rebounds since the COVID lows. Um, this is at a time, guys, when listings are down 40% year over year too. So that's a ton of competition for a very few amount of homes. Um, you know, and the standing active inventory is down 21% year over year. This is the lowest in over a decade, right? So um, similar to the GVRD, the GTA inventory has been flat for uh, all of 2023. Prices are doing something similar as well. They're up 2.4% just last month. That's a recovery number in my mind. Um, GTA sales, uh, sales to list, sorry. Um, that means what are the properties actually selling for versus their list price? They're at 104%. So typical property uh, getting purchased at 4% over the asking price. Uh, compounding the issue here is that dwellings that are under construction have actually declined for three months straight, including a 1.1% drop in March. It's amazing because at least the, the 104% number is quite fascinating to me because you look at Vancouver and we're still just sub, I think we're at 98.5%, meaning that the average list price and the average sale price, well, the list price is actually higher. People are getting it for under ask. Whereas Toronto, it looks like you're almost all but guaranteed to be paying over the list price if you're going in to buy a home. And it is 100% due to the tight inventory. Toronto, like the GTA, I think they're down to like 1.2 months of inventory right now. It's incredibly tight. And so understandably, people are fighting for what is available. Now, I want to talk a little bit further on credit tightening. Because, you know, even with debt burdens and high interest rates, as we talked, off, talked about on the top and what Ryan just mentioned within Toronto, home prices are going up. We're 5.3% 5, 5 uh year to date here in Vancouver based on the HPI, and that will be going up again in May. So this could threaten, in essence, further credit tightening from OSFI and, and from the Bank of Canada, because they don't want to see home prices going up. And yet making existing, existing rather debt burdens even more challenging 
for the people with their mortgages, with their credit cards, with their lines of credit, et cetera, if they were to actually rise. So as you can understand, Tiff Macklem at the Bank of Canada has a consistently hard job being pulled into very opposing directions here. So does he leave it where it is? Does he go up? Does he go down? We won't know until next month. But either way, it's um, it's it's a marketplace that I don't think he expected, right? We've got very strong unemployment. We've got houses ripping higher in the exact same interest rate environment that brought them down for nine months. So fascinating landscape we're in again. Who's he going to make life easier for? Who's he going to make life harder for? Well, that might come down to the inflation print that we get next. And what just happened in the States may be an indicator of that. Yeah, inflation in the States barely ticked down, right? It moved only 0.1% month over month. So now we're down to 4.9%. Now, that still did beat expectations. Expectations were uh, 5%. So, I mean, it's a small small win, but it's still a win. Um, I think what we're starting to see too, Dan, is the um, the more reports I read on this, the more we're starting to see economists that overall tend to believe that the easy part of cutting the inflation out um, has happened, right? This was the easy part. Uh, What's going to be really kind of hard now, especially moving ahead, is going from its current position down to 2%. That 2% is going to be a difficult uh, target to hit, especially when you consider that the U.S. added 236,000 new jobs um, and a lot of those jobs in the service industry, right? So things like insurance, restaurants, education, medical care. uh, And these wages are still surging because companies can't keep or retain, sorry, their people. So they have to continue to pay them more and more to stay. That continues to add to inflation and pushes costs up, right? So the reason why you're paying more at the restaurant is because in order to keep the server there, they need to charge you more for the sandwich. So um, now to kind of go back to a bit more of a macro level here, um, interest rates have dramatically risen by five percentage points over the last year. Right. And this is the highest it's been now in 16 years. Uh, So this also means this is the first time since the pandemic where interest rates are actually higher than the inflation rate. So I think what's going to be very interesting to happen or what's going to happen over the course of time here, not in, in a short period of time or by a certain time, but over time, we are going to have the desired effect. Inflation will come down. It's just likely going to take a little bit longer. And in all honesty, I still think we're, we're going to see a recession in the States at some time. Uh, I, I don't quite know what's going to, how it's going to pan out here in Canada just yet, but a lot of what happens in the States is reflected here. So uh, it's very possible we'll enter into a very slight recession. Uh, but again, there's a lot of variables and I do not, um, I do not envy Tiff Macklin or Jerome Powell. <laughs> I can tell you that. Well, keep in mind the previous month in the States, inflation dropped a full percentage point. Mm-hmm. So to see that slow down to just a point one in the following month is rather dramatic. And let's reference that to Canada because they seem to work very similarly, right? They, they kind of, uh, the inflation rates go down almost in concert here and Canada last month was 0.9%. It was very big compared to the States full 1%. So are we going to see 0.1.2 if, you know, register for the month of April? Very likely, I think here, but hey, we, we can also very much so be surprised. So that kind of wraps up where we are on inflation and, and debt burdens and what's going on. But I, I wanted to share another story because 
when interest rates started going up and we saw people and their payments go up and stresses start to occur, we know that the government and, and the bank, the central banks, do what they can to keep people in their homes. And the first thing they did, of course, was extend amortizations, which is one of the many levers they can pull. So there are people in their homes right now who have came from having 25, 30 year amortizations who now have 40, 50, 60 year amortizations on their existing mortgages. They're still in their house. They're still making payments. It's not pretty, but it's prettier than the alternative. Um, now let's also talk about other options of what could happen. And this is all in reference to what just happened in the UK, because the UK has finally created a way to help first time home buyers get into the market. We've mentioned before that in Vancouver, one of the most prohibitive things about our real estate market is the down payment. On average, there's a good number of people who can afford the monthly payments once they're in, but it's getting that 5, 10, 15, 20% or more down payment that makes things difficult, right? If your average home is 1.2 and you need 20% to get in that, you're looking at over a quarter million dollars, including closing costs, just to get into a home. That's prohibitive, of course. So the UK has come up with uh, uh, something that, well, it's not that they came up with it. They've resurfaced something they've had in the past. And interestingly, this used to exist in Canada as well. Around the mid 2000s, you used to be able to buy a home here in BC with 100% financing, zero down. You could even buy investment properties with 0% down back then. I missed that boat. Unfortunately, I bought my <laughs> first investment property in 2012 and I definitely had to put 20 points down. Now, in the UK, for first-time home buyers, 100% mortgages are back. Uh, this is a new product, and it is, it's got its stipulations. You have to be a first-time home buyer, and you have to currently be renting. And why are the banks doing this? Well, they can get, obviously, more clients out of it. And you know, rates right now in the, in the UK are about 5%. And to take advantage of this offering, the rates are 5.49%. So there is a premium to get it. But to me, this is one of the best incentives for first-time home buyers that can exist. This truly gets them into the marketplace. It's not, you know, the little things that we offer here in BC, the first-time home buyer credits and tax rebates and all this other stuff that almost nobody uses um, because they're not truly incentivizing first-timers. Um, let's think of it like this. Uh, Zumper, uh, which is uh, it tracks rental rates here, as of May 2023, they've just reported that the average one-bedroom rent in Vancouver is $2,700. That's up 19% from just last year. If that same renter wanted to buy a home, well, right now, as of today, if you wanted a $100,000 uh, mortgage, or sorry, for every $100,000 of mortgage, you're looking at a payment of $533. If you wanted to go out, and if this incentive existed today and you're a renter and you're paying your 2700 bucks on average and you want to go out and buy a $500,000 home with zero down and just start paying that mortgage out of the gate, your payments would be $2,665. Now, yes, of course, there are more expenses. There is your strata fees, most likely. You're going to have to pay insurance. You're going to have your property taxes. But even if that were to push up to, let's call it $3,100, $3,200 a month compared to your $2,700 a month, do you think there would be a portion of the marketplace that could find that extra $500 a month to become homeowners and immediately start paying down their principal and creating basically a forced savings account and live in their home and never get evicted and so forth? So cheers to the UK. I think this will like 
really significantly help a lot of people get into that market, which just like Vancouver is insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what do you think of it? Yeah, very interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, um, I'm always a little weary of 100% mortgages because of how it was treated down in the States. So I think a lot of this is going to have to come down to how well the bank's oversight is in, in this uh, situation because banks can get really carried away. They can sell a, a mortgage to anyone in that respect. Um, so, you know, I think making sure the qualifying of the, of the people where these mortgages are going to, uh, are, are going to have, are actually going to get paid. But, you know, uh, one of the biggest burdens to getting into, uh, homes across Canada with like, without a doubt is the down payment, you know, that has restricted so many people or forced, you know, families who can only afford a one bedroom and then you have, you know, three or four people in a one bedroom and that just, it, it, it just doesn't work. Right. So they, they're forced to rent and then they're forced to not participate in the equity or, um, growth that takes place in the city. And we have a massive economic divide. So I think as long as there's good government oversight on the banks, uh, or at least regulators that are, that are looking at, at these loans, I think it's a great idea, you know, because it does, it pushes people into, the marketplace and allows them to actually rise out of uh, uh, out of their current economic situation and participate um, like a lot of Vancouverites, you know, would love to. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just running a quick number here. So remember, last year Canada's population grew by about 1.1 million, and in the first two months, the metrics for 2023 point that to almost double to two million. I don't think it'll wow. hit that, but even let's say it goes to 1.5 million population growth largely driven by immigration happens in 2023 okay that is 4100 people every single day are coming into the country and let's keep in mind the average person who immigrates into canada rents for the first two years obviously that is going to drive the rental market up and this is why as of today rental rates are at an all-time high especially here in vancouver and i'm pretty sure toronto is experiencing similar rental rates So to help people get into properties and to maybe soften the pain of those rental rates, this is a program that uh, could potentially work. You know, I guess we'll wait and see for the UK, but uh, if any powers that be happen to tune into our channel, hey, let's explore that. You know, is that something that uh, BC or or Canada as a whole could offer as well? Yeah, I think think that's a great place. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of the day, we need solutions, right? So we don't have. We know what is currently in place isn't working. That's That's right. That's right. Um, ultimately it does create more interest and access making it more accessible for people to get into being a homeowner so there's a fight there too and that gets pushed up ultimately it's going to be supply but hey i thought this was a good talking point that we wanted to share today so yeah as always thank you so much for tuning in and we look forward to bringing you more information about the vein having trouble today about the vancouver real estate market next saturday morning as well have an awesome day thanks That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.